Thank you for joining this sermon podcast from Cornerstone Fellowship in Forest City, North Carolina. We hope that you are blessed and encouraged by today's message. Cornerstone exists to glorify God as we passionately pursue Him and make Him known through worship, discipleship, fellowship, and outreach. Here's today's message. Today we want to turn in our Bibles to Romans chapter 8, and we'll begin our reading in verse 28. Romans chapter 8, and we're going to read one verse, and that'll be our focus for the message, and then we're going to go back and take a look at verse 18 through 27 for our introduction because as you've seen the pattern throughout the book of Romans, Paul is constantly hitting us with a powerful truth and then we have to kind of pull together all of the truths that surround it. And that's what we'll do today. Romans 8, 28, it should be a very familiar verse. I'm going to ask you, if you would, to stand with us as we reverence the reading of God's holy, precious Word. Romans chapter 8, verse 28, and we know, we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. Let's read it again. And we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. You may be seated. Leading up to this verse, Paul begins in verse 18. We left off last week in verse 17, but if we go back to verse 18, Paul says this to us, for I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not even worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us. A couple of words, and then we'll read the next verse, but We know that suffering is a reality. It is not something that we can avoid, and life is not fair, so some will suffer greatly, some will suffer hardly at all, perhaps, but suffering is a reality. And one of the problems that I see nowadays with especially the more progressive wing of of the church, the liberal church, kind of preaching that you hear, it's almost as if we could negate suffering, uh, we, we could speak it away or whatever some of them say, or perhaps persecution is unnecessary. I, I saw yesterday a video of a young man that was reading his Bible at a public protest, and some of the protesters ripped the Bible out of his hands, tore the pages out, and then they began to eat them like a bunch of animals. They just, just, it's incredible what we see. One example, there are many others we could look at. I can tell you this. When people tell you we wouldn't get into all of these messes if we would just be more like Jesus. Well, Jesus said, being more like me will mean they will hate you 
He said, because they hated me first. Being like me is what will get you into trouble. In verse 19, he goes on, for the anxious longing of the creation awaits eagerly for the revealing of the sons of God. One day all will know who are the sons of God. That it, it may surprise some who are. It may surprise us about some who we thought were that are not. But Jesus Christ uh, uh, one day is going to show everyone who belongs to him and who does not. And Paul says that there's just an anxious uh, anticipation uh, in all of creation awaiting for the day that God stands and calls his bride home. In verse 20, he says, For creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. He's talking about there was a time when sin entered into this world and all of creation was, was cursed. Uh, we don't ever need... Make sure you don't forget this. And it's so powerful in this particular verse. Don't ever think that Satan snatched something away from the hands of God and destroyed it. It wasn't Satan who cursed this world. It was God himself. He cursed it to futility or to emptiness. It was God who said, cursed is the ground. It was God who told the serpent that You'll have dust for breakfast the rest of your life, and you will slither on your stomach. It was God who did all of that. But the cool part, the wonderful part, the part that gives us hope is it said that he did it in hope, that one day he is going to redeem all of creation. And, and he didn't give up on the world and the earth and what he had created just because it got messed up. No, John said, I saw a new heaven and a new earth coming down because one day God's going to remove the curse under which this creation exists. Verse 21, that the creation itself also will be set free from its slavery to corruption. All of creation lives in slavery to the corruption of sin. Sin affected everything. And to the freedom of the glory of the children of God. Back to the first part of the verse, though. Creation itself will finally be set from this slavery. We live in a world that is a slave. Creation itself, everything we see, the systems that we see, the governments that we see, even the physical universe itself lives in a state of slavery to corruption. There's so many things in this world that we see from time to time that are so violent, and, and not just with people, but we see other things. And I, I, I thought about this this week with this verse. You know, I know the lion has got to eat, but I still always pull for the wildebeest. I understand the crocodile. He's got to have supper, and I realize all of that, but that baby zebra, I'm boy, I, when he's crossing the Serengeti waters, I'm like, come on, come on, come on, come on. 
Oh, he made it, thank goodness. But I know most of them will not. This world sometimes seems cruel like that, does it not? And we see that. It's all a part of this corruption under which all of creation lives. We are part of a problem of decay, and we have death, and, and all of that right here in the physical world. And, and I will tell you this, and I'm not trying to make a political point here, but our problem in our created world, the problem in the actual physical world around us, it's, it's not climate change. That's just a symptom of a bigger problem. Our problem is this world lives in slavery to corruption because of the problem of sin. As a matter of fact, this is, I think, a great verse. We might think, well, what will it be like in heaven? I go all the way back 800 years before Jesus came. And Isaiah just kept talking about a future kingdom and what this future kingdom would be like. Isaiah 65, 25. I'll read just this one verse. It says, The wolf and the lamb will graze together. Thank the Lord. I was really worried that we'd get to heaven and we'd be watching some beautiful animal when another one coming along hungry. Said, so, no, the wolf and the lamb will graze together. Isaiah 65, 25, and the lamb will eat straw, or the lion will eat straw like the ox. And dust will be the serpent's food. He doesn't get to change his diet. But he goes on to say, and they will do no evil or harm. In all of my holy mountain, says the Lord, the day will come when the violent tendencies of creation will be no more. And then he comes to a section of Scripture, we'll call it from groans to glory. There are three groans here. He uses that word three different times. Stunadzai uh, or stunad. Zai is the word. Stenographer comes from it because of its narrowness in the writing of a stenographer. But this means a narrowing or a pressure point, and it is usually translated uh, through the word or by the English word groaning. And soon says it's together. So there is some groaning together, and he's going to use it three times. And First of all, he says, creation itself groans in verse 22. For we know that the whole creation groans and suffers the pains of childbirth together until now. The pain, but it is like the pains of childbirth. They won't last forever. Now, some of you moms, I know I've never been one. And contrary to popular notions that are about today, I'm never going to be one. So you don't get that depth of truth just anywhere. <laughs> never going to be one. But perhaps you've been one of those mothers that thought, no, they're going to last forever. They're going to last forever. But they don't. And I can tell you when that precious baby arrives and 
you hold in your arms what made you a mother already nine months earlier, boy, it is like everything at that point changes. I've never heard of a mother going, just take it away. I don't want to see it. Uh, that thing about kill me. It's never like that. As long as everybody is right in their mind. I, I can just tell you, uh, it is groans, and all of creation is groaning, but not without hope that one of these days God's going to make it all better. And in verse 23, and not only this, but we also ourselves, we do, having the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting eagerly, eagerly for the adoption of sons, the redemption of our body. We have the first fruits, he says. You're get, you've gotten a little taste. If you're a born-again Christian, boy, it is going to be way more than we could ever think or imagine. But sometimes when we sing, sometimes when we fellowship, sometimes when we cry together as a family of God, we get a little taste of what it will be like in eternity with God forever. And when you get those little tastes from time to time, or you might be by yourself, and just a piece of God just overwhelms you as you're uh, maybe off in nature somewhere or whatever. Those little times are precious, and it gives us a little taste of what is coming one day in eternity. He says, so you can't stop thinking about it, can you? He said, you just got to, the first fruits of it, but boy, it will get even better. Eagerly awaiting for our adoptions as sons. We know that we are already children of God, but the day will come when I won't just be declared righteous, 100% righteous, but I will actually be 100% righteous. Sin will have no hold on me. Temptation that I still fight with every day and the anxieties that I fight and the worries that plague me, all of that will be gone one day in the world to come when our Lord calls us home. And then he even talks about the redemption of our body. We sang about it today. The resurrected king is resurrecting me. Christ was the first fruits of those that died and were raised. And you and I one day, if, we, if God tarries his coming and we leave this world, one day God's going to raise us from the dead. And we're going to have bodies that are untouched by the curse of sin. People have asked me before, I, and it's, you just, just can't speculate <laughs> Uh, enough about it. To, I, I have no idea, but people ask me sometimes, Pastor, what do you think that resurrected body is going to look like? Now, I'm going to die laughing if we get there and it looks like mine. All of you spent all that money at the gym that I should have spent. I don't know, but I know everything that sin has done to our bodies, the sickness the soreness, the worries, the frets, the fear, oh, cancer. It'll be gone. No more COVID. Oh, I remember, David, when 
you talked about your little Evan from heaven. Now he has to talk about his Evan in heaven. And his heart breaks. But I don't think he'd mind me telling you that one of these days he will see her again and they won't ever have to say bye anymore. They won't ever have to depart anymore. This verse right here, Miss Penny, I preached this verse at Gail's funeral. Boy, what a sad, heartbreaking day for all of us. But we rejoice in Romans 8, 28 that day because we know that one of these days that even if we die and our bodies are buried, that our resurrected king is going to resurrect us as well, and we will live forevermore with him. I think that's great. We're going to have a body. I, I, I kind of grew up as a kid because we didn't, we didn't do much Bible exposition at my church. But I kind of grew up as a kid thinking in heaven we're just going to be these blobs that love fog that just kind of bounce around. We're going to have bodies. We're going to have legs where we can run and and. And I, I think we will engage in activities just like we have here, but without the curse of sin. Hallelujah. And then in verse 24, for in hope we have been saved, but hope that is seen, not hope for who hopes for that which he already sees. But if we hope in what we do not see with perseverance, we wait eagerly for it. We've talked about the hope we have in God is not, I hope I win the lottery. It is something that is assured that we look forward to, not hoping it will happen. We know it will happen. We just long for the day. And then last of all, before we get to our verse, God, God groans. In verse 26, in the same way, the Spirit also helps in our weakness, for we do not know how to pray as we should. Boy, don't miss that. We could stop there for a week. I, I'm, I'm grown weary of this business of if you and I come together in faith or whatever, God's got to do it. You and I don't even know what to tell God He's got to do. He's not some cosmic genie that if you rub the lamp right, you can hold him hostage till you get your power bill paid, bless God. Nothing about that is scriptural. It is foolishness. Draws big crowds and leads a lot of people to hell. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weaknesses where we do not know how to pray as we should, but the Spirit Himself, that's not some spirit in me, that's not some prayer language, that's not my spirit, that's the Holy Spirit. The Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. Man, sometimes I, I know I, how badly I need to pray to God. But I can just tell you, in the last couple of days, I've cried out to God and said, God, pray for me. God, pray for me. And that's not a far-fetched idea at all, especially when you consider not only this passage, but remember what Jesus told Peter. He said, you're going to deny me. You're going to go through one of the hardest times in your life. Your pride is going to take an atomic hit, buddy. And when you go down, you're going to go down in flames. But I want you to know that I have prayed 
for you. Isn't it great that when you are so broken, you cannot even put words together that the Spirit of God will pray for you. When all you can do is cry. And maybe you're not in tears. Maybe, maybe you're bewildered. I don't know what to ask for, God. I, I don't know the answer here. Look in verse 27, our last verse. It says, and he who searches the hearts, he knows what the mind of the Spirit is. God knows what God knows. He understands his own mind and heart because he intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. The greatest prayer you can ever pray is to ask for the will of God. When Jesus taught his disciples to pray, they came to him, Lord, teach us to pray. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Start with worship, he says. But then he says, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Pray for the will of God. Of God. When I'm at the bedside of someone who's sick, it's hard to do. But I try to never close a prayer without that climactic confession. God, above all, we pray for your will. And I tell you, when it's really tough is when you're the one lying in the bed. When I had cancer a couple of years ago, I didn't know if I'd live or not. I had a pretty good prayer time a couple of years ago in a tree stand. But I had to pray for the will of God. And when God says, this is my will, and I will see it through, I'm going to tell you, man, Awesome things can happen. But one of these days, it's going to be God's will if He tarries His coming. It will be His will that I draw my last breath on this earth and that I wake up in glory with Him. But I need to always pray for the will of God. Oh, it's sad that today that seems so restricted, too selfless. Seems like we ought to be asking God to pay off that Cadillac or whatever. I, I, it, 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 it seems like we're giving in too easily. We're not tapping into the riches, the gold mine in the sky. I can tell you the most important thing you will ever ask for and the most valuable thing you will ever possess is to be in the will of God. And then we come to our verse. We preached this a couple of weeks ago about our freedom in Christ. Last week we preached about our life in Christ. Today we'll look at one verse that deals with our hope in Christ. Our hope in Christ. I know we've looked at it before. But I just didn't think we could skip it. We're in Romans. 
And this is a life verse for me. Because Paul says, we know. First of all, our hope in Christ is something that is certain. We know. Just stop at those two words because there's so much in life that we do not know. That's why the Spirit has to pray for us because we do not know. He says, verse 26, for we do not know. We do not know how to pray as we should. We know how to pray, but we don't know how to pray as we should. There's so many things that we don't know. And I'll tell you this, being presumptuous is a horrid sin in Scripture, and it's treated very seriously. As a matter of fact, two men in Scripture, and it's ironic, I guess, odd in some kind of way, that these two men have a distinction. One is the wisest man who ever lived, and the other one, according to my estimation, this is a personal assessment, he's the dumbest man that ever lived. And they both address being presumptuous about what will happen. Solomon tells us in Proverbs 27.1, don't boast about tomorrow because you do not know what a day may bring. Some of you can think back in times in your life, I promise you, in a crowd this size, I'm sure many of you could to think of a time that you had no idea when you got up that morning that your life would take the turn that it did. You had no idea that you'd wake up in ICU. You had no idea that a car would cross the center line or whatever it might have been. You had no idea whatsoever as to what you would find on a spouse's cell phone or whatever it might be. I'm telling you, life is full of a lot of uncertainty, friend. Solomon says, don't boast about tomorrow because you don't know what a day may bring. Ahab is the other one. He's the dumbest one in the world, I think. King Ahab was king of the northern tribes. We know he's a bad king because the northern tribes never had anything but bad kings. They just kept putting them in office, even though they were incompetent to lead anybody. But Ahab, he was an absolute fool. I mean, you got to realize he married Jezebel. Enough said? My goodness. But when Ben-Hadad... When Ben-Hadad threatened to Israel and told Ahab, I'm coming, and boy, I'm going to rip into you guys, and I'm going to take you down and all of that, Ahab conjured up the only statement he ever made that ever made any sense. Now, the dumbest thing he ever said was, I do. But the smartest thing he ever said was he sent a message to King Ben-Hadad and said to the king, tell him, the one putting his armor on should not speak like one who takes his armor off. You don't know what you'll do till this battle is over. There's a lot we don't know. Paul says there is something we can know. Let's look at it. He says our hope in Christ it is certain. Number two, it's compelling. He says God causes all things to work together 
for good. It's not just some empty proverb about positive thinking. There's no such thing in, as, as luck. I, I, I just, I, I'm, I'm blown away sometimes when I, I hear Christian people talk about karma. I'm like, what are you, a Hindu Christian? You know, and we, most people don't even know, though, well, that's Hindu. Yes, it's Hindu, just like yoga and all that other crazy mess. It is, it, it's part of Hinduism and that karma. I'll never forget one time in a church I pastored, a lady had told, a grown woman had told a younger lady that if she would sprinkle a little garlic in her bath water that it would help her to have some positive karma. I think it would help her to probably sleep by herself. There is no such thing. There is no such thing. God causes. He causes all things to work together. It's not just empty faith. And I know I've said it before, but those so-called Christian television shows, and I enjoyed them as well, but when they would say such generic statements like, you just have to have faith. When I hear that, I want to say, faith in what? Just having faith is worthless. What are you, and what are you putting your faith? Oh, you just have to have hope. Unless you have something in which you can hope, unless you are putting your hope in a God that is not subservient to circumstances that He can cause things to happen, then my friend, your hope is absolutely worthless. You are playing mind games with yourself. You might as well be reading some wise sayings from Mark Twain. He had a few. Or Winston Churchill. Just some good worldly wisdom. But, man, your hope needs to be in Jesus Christ. Oswald Chambers said once, faith for my deliverance is not faith in God. Faith means whether I'm visibly delivered or not, I will stick to my belief that God is love. There are some things only learned, he said, in the fiery furnace. And there are times God will let you, He will deliver you from the fiery furnace. Sometimes He will want you to walk in the fiery furnace. But I love that song that we sing here. There's a, another in the fire. I believe that's the words too. There's another in the water holding back the sea. God had Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego go through the furnace, but they didn't go through it alone. Sometimes you're going to face the furnace, and if you seek God's will, you may have to go through it. He doesn't always move the mountain. And remember this. Real faith in God is not believing that God can do anything. Real faith in God is believing in anything that God does. Knowing He knows what we don't know. It's certain. It's compelling. He makes it happen. Thirdly, it's comprehensive. He says all things the good, the bad, and the ugly. All things. It's comprehensive. 
the sufferings of verse 18, the anxious longing in verse 19, the futility in verse 20, the corruption in verse 21, the groaning in verse 22, and the weakness he spoke of in verse 26. God can take all of those things and he can make them work together. And maybe you're here today and you're trying to make sense out of the pieces of your life. You're trying to figure out how in the world can this God do anything with this? And, and how in the world can God take all of this confusion and, and make sense out of it? I want to tell you, you're dealing with God. And God can take all kinds of messes and God can make something out of them. I love going back and, and learning about God's character from the way he created the world. It says that when he came to this world or he got to a certain point in creation, he saw that the universe was bahu and tahu. Those are two Hebrew words. One means chaotic and the other means empty. Would that ever describe your life at some point? Chaotic and empty. But his spirit moved upon whatever was here that he had already created, and he brought order and light and life, and it made sense because it was a reflection of the character of God. Man, work together. He makes them work together. I hate it when people misquote this verse and say, you know, God says he'll make everything work out. That's not what the word is. Sunerge is the word, and it does mean to work together. We get our word synergy from it, and I, I think this is so important. Uh, synergy is just putting it simple, is a word that it would describe if you have one horse that can pull a 1,000 pounds and another horse that can pull a 1,000 pounds, the sum of that is 2,000 pounds. But you can put the two horses together and they may pull 4,000 pounds. They can pull more than the sum that they could pull as individuals. They work together. And so when I look at my life, I see some things that are good, and I like when good things happen. I like it when great things happen. But I can look at other things in my life like this and like a tumor in my colon, and, and I can look at other things in life, and I can see how God took some of the good and some of the bad, and together they took me to a place that just good things would have never taken me. There was a synergy working in my life. You say, Mike, this is just words. How does that make sense? I, I've said it so many times. I know you're tired of hearing it probably, but until you really think that in the next few moments, I'm not going to be in this world anymore. When you're 20 foot off the ground and you've already lost so much blood that you're beginning to black out, Man, and you whisper the words, Lord, I'm coming home. And it's okay. It's okay. Now, I'm tickled pink that I was able to get down while uh, 
a group of well-meaning rescuers were trying to figure out how to get me down. I stood up, stuffed what was left of all of this in a shirt sleeve, wrapped it around behind the ladder of a deer stand, and I came down, walked over and got in the fire truck and said, let's go. And I could have said, had my mind been together, God wanted to teach me something. He did. Let's go. I'm not saying he caused me to blow my arm off with that rifle. Recklessness is what did that. Stupidity. Mine. But God says, I can cause all things to work together for good. All things. Man, when God proved to me he could use my ignorance, I thought, wow, the sky's the limit. Man, and he makes them work together for good. Certain, compelling, com comprehensive. It's conditional. This is not for everybody. This is not a verse that can be applied universally. He says this is to those who love God. As a matter of fact, we, are, we, we're, we have to be burdened by the English language, but had we been able to have read this in the Greek language, and in the Greek, if you're about to give a verse, the most important thing you are about to say, you will put it at the very first of the sentence. For God so loved the world. Most important part of John 3.16. At the very first of Romans 8.28, it does not start the way it starts in English. It starts out with, to those who love God. That's the first thing in Romans 8.28 in the original Greek. Because the thing that God wants out of all of this is for us to love Him and have a relationship with Him. He's not a cosmic vending machine that we can tweak and get our, all our needs met. No, God wants us to love Him. He wants us to have a relationship with Him. That's yesterday, Chase and the grandkids and Sarah, they all came over to the house, and we worked. We're trying to get our basement straightened out, and, and that's going to be another miracle from God if it happens. But, man, alive, we had a great time, but it was just so much fun. We were fellowshipping. I had uh, little Olive riding on the tractor with me. That's what the day was about. I didn't want my grandkids walking up to me in some monotone voice, Papa, we're here to do thy bidding. What? I want to tickle you till you giggle all over yourself. If we don't ever get the leaves raked, if we never get the junk hauled off, I don't care about any of that. It's this relationship that I want. What if you had a child that almost never spoke to you but mowed your grass every week? What do you want? Had you rather have your grass mowed or have that child that forgot to mow it to every time he lays eyes on you to give you a big old hug and a kiss on the cheek? That's what God wants from us. Not a bunch of robots. He can get that anytime he wants it. But he made us 
with the ability to love him. And then last of all, and I'm going to close. It's conclusive. This won't ever change. It's certain, comprehensive, compelling, conditional. It's also conclusive. It goes all the way back, he says, to those who are called according to his purpose. And then we didn't read it, but if we'd have gone on to verse 29, he says, for those, he's going to continue to describe those that love him, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his son. Now, there's two things here, and we can't miss either one of them. One, God not only chose me before I chose him, he chose me before there was a me. He chose me before the foundation of this world were laid. You can't get all wound up around. Yeah, I don't, I don't really understand that. We probably won't ever understand it completely, at least not on this side of glory. You have to remember this. God is not confined to time. It's not confined to time. God knew me, chose me before the foundation of the world. And I just think that is awesome. I just think that it is incredible. And I, I think anybody on this planet that wants to be saved, if you want to be saved, you can be saved, okay? Are we clear about that? This business of taking uh, sometimes Calvinism too far, I think we think there are a bunch of people that are begging God to save them, and he's saying no. Now, I'm telling you, uh, people that, that, that he didn't choose, people that have not chosen God, he already knew that before time ever began. It's not like a linear process that took place with him. He already knew who would choose him and respond to him, but it was even more than that. Before we ever chose him, he chose us. But let's just make one thing clear. If out of all the billions of people that have lived on this planet has he chosen to save one or none, you and I would be out of place to look at him and tell him he's unfair. Because what did we deserve? Yeah, don't ever go to God for what you deserve. You don't want it. <laughs> But then another thing he said as I close, he said to be conformed to the image of his son. I know there are a lot of people in this world that will tell you in a skinny minute they're a Christian. I don't remember now what the percentage of the population in America claims to be Christian. But here's a good question. Whatever you claim or however you feel or whatever, here, here, here's a good question. Are you being conformed into the image of his son? Is your life changing? That'd, that'd be a much better question than are you a Christian? That's so easy to answer. Oh, that's just a box to check. Look, no, no, no. Are you being conformed into the image of his son or are you just kind of giving God 
I mean, maybe you showed up today because you just absolutely didn't have anything else to do. And since they traded McCaffrey, you hate the Panthers. So you didn't need to be home. Is that why you're here? What do you claim to be a Christian? Are you, are you visibly, do you, intellectually, spiritually from within, are you being transformed into the image of his son? That's a better question. Christianity itself is just a religion, but but and, and it's just kind of fallen into the mishmash of all the other uh, faiths and beliefs and religions. And when people tell me one religion is good as the other, I say, amen. I could not agree more. You're just as good at being, you're just as well off to die a Baptist as you are a Buddhist. Neither means anything. But if you've given your heart and life to Christ, if you put your faith in His finished work on Calvary's cross, and you quit trying on your own, but you have fallen mercifully at His feet, and you just cried out, I surrender all, God, and I want you to be my Savior, and I'll quit going, I'll be sent. I'll quit telling, I'll be told, God. I am yours, and I want to be conformed into the image of your Son, I'll tell you, that's not a religion. That's what the Bible calls a relationship. Don't get it mixed up. Let's pray. Our Father, we come to you right now, and I know, Lord, there has to be people sitting here today Lord, they'd love to be able to sort out what's going on in their life. Maybe it's just not making sense, God. I, I, I know, Lord, in this congregation, there are people who have little precious children that are sick, God. Why, why is that? Why is it, God, that people that are mean and, and trifling and worthless, God, and and, and constantly mendacious in, in their attitude, Lord, and, and harmful to society. How can they be in such great help when other people, Lord, are precious and young and are fighting for their lives? God, there's a lot of that we just do not know. But we don't see it from your perspective, God. I just pray you'd help us today. I pray today's message wouldn't just be words. I pray for somebody today, these verses, Lord, from the Apostle Paul would bring hope. Not just hope that something will work out, but hope in knowing that you've already got it worked out. And that one day, Lord, in glory, it will make perfect sense. Lord, one day in glory, Lord, we'll be able to say then we would not have had it any other way because then we will see, Lord, like we have not seen before and understand 
Thank you, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for joining us today. If you have any questions or would like to know more about Cornerstone, please visit our website at ServantsWay.com or email us at office at ServantsWay.com. Cornerstone Fellowship is located at 1186 Hudlow Road, Forest City, North Carolina. Please join us again next week.